Greetings, everyone. I appreciate this day of Pentecost. Very exciting time for God's people in the annual festival cycle. Now, through the years, I've heard two undeniably true statements throughout the church. One, that in this age, the church would be a little flock, not a massive organization of millions of people. That's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. And also that in this age, not many mighty, not many wise would be called. In other words, not many would be wise by worldly standards. Not many mighty, that is powerful, meaning uh, perhaps the ruling class with political influence. Uh, not many would be noble. Uh, the Greek word means well-born or high-born families of nobility. Instead, God would call most from families of no name or reputation. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, where God says through the Apostle Paul, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, that is by the world's standards to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. That is by the world. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. And we see that. Uh, That God has done things in a way that would be different from the mind of man. We're not, an, we're not an organization of billions of people. We don't have individuals who have influence in, in nations and governments around the world. Uh, we don't have individuals who are billionaires who support this work. Uh, we, we have individuals, of course, in wherever we may be living, that we read in the newspaper, uh, men of power, men of influence, Uh, men of wealth, men of ability. But normally they're not the ones attending our local church services. And so when we think in terms of being a little flock and not being the wise of the world or the great of the world, we could reach a very wrong conclusion that the church of God is a weak and a powerless organization and nothing could be further from the truth. So today I'm going to show how Pentecost should teach us that the church reflects the power and the strength, not of men, but of God. And so the title of today's sermon on this day of Pentecost is, The Church of God Reflects the Power of God. In Matthew chapter 16, we find that the church, in in a real sense, was born in power and in strength. We come to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Jesus Christ always was interested in how an individual might express uh, certain statements or certain understandings. And so he'd ask. Uh, What do you think about this? Uh, Who do people say that I am uh, in this particular regard? 
So they said, you know, of course they read the National Enquirer of their day. Well, no, some say that uh, you're John the Baptist, uh, maybe reincarnated, or some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, you're coming in, in their spirit or their attitude or their work. And he said, that's fine, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't get this from the logic of men. You didn't hear this by the grapevine or by rumor. You didn't figure this out for yourself. But God the Father has revealed this to you. He has made you to understand this and to believe it. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, referring to the, the lesser rock, the pebble. But on this rock, referring to himself, on this Petra, this, this massive rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Men will not be able to kill the church off. It cannot be destroyed. It won't die off from attrition. But God will build that church, and it will last. That's what God prophesied. So we see that Jesus Christ, no one stronger, God the Father appointed him to be head of the church and God the Father created all things uh, through Jesus Christ. So again, the church is born on great strength and power. The leader could not be stronger who is head of the church. Now we turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, A peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. Suppose they had seen a spirit. That superstitions die hard. Uh, individuals come into the church of God and we're learning new new doctrines, new teachings. We're, we're getting God's understanding. But sometimes uh, our old ideas come back with us. And in this case, you know, they still were thinking of ghosts and spooks and goblins. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. So he manifests himself in a physical way that they could, could know that this indeed was that same Jesus that had taught and worked with them. He said, do you handle me? See, for a spirit, you know, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate it in their presence. So oftentimes, as, as normal in God's church is, we, we have food, we eat, we fellowship, we talk, and then we eat some more and talk some more. And that's the way we get to know each other and communicate and uh, encourage one another in these things. So he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
and he opened their understanding that he might comprehend the scriptures. So he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And then he said this statement, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. You wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So again, God prophesied the church wouldn't be weak and without strength, but just as it was founded on the strongest of leaders, Jesus Christ, who is head of all things under God the Father, that God was also going to give it power and strength to fulfill its functions and do God's work and will. So we come to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, and this records the time when uh, God pours out His Holy Spirit on the church, and individuals are able to see the physical manifestations. Uh, It had a tremendous impact. And then God inspired the Apostle Peter Uh, to give, again, a a, a very, very powerful sermon, a very charismatic sermon where people heard it and were affected and as they heard the words of God. And we find in Acts 2, verse 36, he begins to end and he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, not necessarily everyone that heard that sermon had that same attitude. There were some who were probably, you know, folding their arms and, uh, you know, they didn't really agree with what Peter was saying. Uh, That's the way normal people are. Uh, individuals hear the telecast or they read our publications or they perhaps might even visit our local services. And uh, some are are really excited about hearing. They're wanting to learn. Uh, in fact, they are, are so moved, as, or says here, uh, God brings them to this spirit of repentance. They want to know what's the next step. Uh, what now are we to do with this information? Now that we know uh, what the truth is, Uh, How do we go from here Uh, where others don't want anything to do with us? So if God's calling, then God can, again, circumcise that heart, can bring that heart to a a teachable and humble uh, way of thinking. And so that's what these individuals did. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, God has to grant repentance, and the Holy Spirit comes from God. But that gift is promised. And this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, He testified, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received the word were baptized, 
And that day about 3,000 were added uh, to the very church of God. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Remember, the apostles' doctrine, their teaching was what Christ had taught them. So it wasn't their individual opinions, but they were transmitting faithfully the very word that Jesus gave to them. And they continued in fellowship, in eating and, and drinking, as we all do, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every person, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So as we recount the history of the church at the beginning, and I left off Acts 1, uh, you know, that can be covered a little later on this day of Pentecost. Uh, but, you know, again, tremendous miracles and uh, the church and the people visibly shaken and stirred by what God had, had shown them. Uh, so the church grew, the foundations were was based, again, in great power and force. And there are many examples throughout the book of Acts that demonstrate the power of God continuing in the church through various signs and miracles. There's the account that, you know, an individual healed uh, by the shadow of Peter. Not that the shadow healed, uh, but, you know, they realized that God was working through Peter. Uh, they had that certain amount of faith. And when the shadow passed by, the person was healed. Uh, we heard of uh, Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, a widow uh, beloved by her fellow, fellow uh, peers, uh, was raised from the dead just as Lazarus had been raised from the dead. There are examples of demons cast out. And there are other examples of incredible signs and wonders. Again, where the Apostle Paul uh, may have been stoned to death and then was resurrected. At least that's a possibility. Uh, where a poison snake bit him and he did not fall dead. Again, signs and miracles uh, throughout. Yet in the midst of all this, this strong evidence of God working in the church, there were those who kept accusing the church of being just a work of men. They would say that, well, these men were blasphemous men at that. You know, Jesus Christ, they would say, was only a human being. He wasn't the son of God. Uh, he was the son of a carpenter. And he was a rebel. He was a dissenter. And others would... would pass on that rumor that was started uh, long ago that he wasn't really resurrected. His disciples had stolen his body and hidden it. And they would claim the church was a political group and they were opposing even Caesar. Whatever so-called miracles that were done must have been done through Satan. Uh, these were the kind of accusations leveled at the church. Uh, individuals at that time, some stayed with the church. Others were dissuaded. And uh, because of that dissuasion, they, they left the church. Uh, we have to put ourselves back in that time period. You know, would we have second thoughts about being in a group that has such accusations leveled at it? Would we be ashamed of being connected by this particular church? Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1, we find again God inspiring the Apostle Paul in these words. We come to verse 15. In Romans 1, verse 15. 
So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Remember Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go someplace else. I'm not embarrassed by what I know Jesus Christ taught me because he was, in a sense, taught uh, out of due time, out of due season, but he was also taught just like the apostles uh, by Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not ashamed of that, for it is the power of God to salvation. And Paul understood that, you know, to be saved, to eventually enter the very family of God through the resurrection, uh, there is power and authority that can make that happen. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is ever-increasing faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul didn't back down from his calling. Uh, he wasn't embarrassed to be part of the church of God. Uh, he was not fearful of boldly preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And again, he understood there was power and authority that came with the church of God. And again, I hope that any of us uh, would, would never uh, be ashamed as well. Because uh, just as Satan has leveled many accusations uh, back then, uh, if you go onto the internet and other places, you'll find there are, there are always individuals accusing and uh, uh, fa uh, putting false ac uh, statements and, and accusations against uh, whether it be Mr. Herbert Armstrong or Dr. Uh, Meredith or other, others in the church. And they don't talk about the power and the miracles and the work of the Almighty God. And so, again, we're not ashamed of these things. Getting back to the book of Romans, you know, what does the Apostle Paul mean by, again, the power of God to salvation? Well, let's go back to an example in Mark chapter 2. Jesus Christ here is in the flesh. He is establishing his church and work. And again, he is showing by example and by miracles uh, what is true and uh, about the kingdom of God. And what it takes to get there. But here we go in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. Again he entered Capernaum. And after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house, immediately many gathered together. So there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So here, these people are getting crowded against the house here. And you couldn't get through the crowd, so you had to listen from a distance. And then there came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So oftentimes when individuals are paralyzed in that way, it is in a sense dead weight. And it does take uh, a little extra effort to carry such an individual. So when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Uh, it was a little easier. It's not like breaking through the uh, shingles and asphalt and going through the attic. Uh, there was more were tiles. And they could take the tiles off and come down. And that's what they did. 
They uncovered the roof where he was when they had broken through. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, Jesus must have again noticed the noise. He looked up and maybe saw the dust coming through the roof. And here this individual being let down uh, through that roof. And that was evidence of their faith. Now, faith without works is dead. And we saw their effort and their tenacity. You know, he knew this individual or these individuals had faith. And so he said, son, of, uh, son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in the spirit, that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? If I'm going to talk to this paralytic, or paralytic excuse me, if, if it's easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. We've got to think about that. You know, what evidence do we have that our sins are forgiven? Or is it just words when you're baptized and when hands are laid on you and you, uh, and, you know, after you're baptized, but when you come about a watery grave and we again say congratulations, you know, your sins are forgiven. Uh, what's your assurance that those words are true? How do you know God really has? Well, Christ addressed the problem here. He said that this man, verse 10, that you may know that the Son of Man has power, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. He's saying that's, you know, that's the evidence. The very power that I have to heal you is by the very same power and authority I have to forgive your sins. Now, how many of you have experienced a personal healing? Or how many of you who have known individuals in your family or acquaintances that you know and know that you know that they were supernaturally healed? Well, if you've experienced that, I have, and uh, many of you have. But when you've experienced that, do you also realize that is evidence that, that by that same power and authority that your sins are forgiven under the blood of Jesus Christ? Uh, that's pretty exciting. And there is power, isn't there, uh, to salvation. Now, that's the way our sins are forgiven. And then through the granting of God's Spirit, then we again have power to be the people of God and being prepared for God. And so when this all happened, immediately uh, this individual arose who had been, again, paralyzed, just like Mr. Howard Clark uh, had been uh, paralyzed and then he was healed, and he could walk. Many of us saw him after his healing. And uh, so this one took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never, never saw anything like this. Well, brethren, do you realize that when we're baptized, in that sense, we should be able to say the same thing. You know, as God gives understanding, wow, we have never seen anything like this. That our sins could be forgiven. 
that we could receive the Holy Spirit of God. And then later on as we see healings, that, wow, you know, you don't see this in the world. Uh, these, these are miracles of the eternal God. So Jesus Christ had the authority, again, to forgive sin, the power to forgive sin. And we're recipients of that power. Also, again, as God gives us his Holy Spirit, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse, verse 9. You know, how, how do we come to understand? Have you ever thought about that? I'm speaking to individuals who have an understanding of the Word of God. That's why you're here uh, on this annual Sabbath. But notice in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it is written, Eye has not seen or ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. I think a human being could come to the conclusion there must be a Creator, but they wouldn't know about His personality. They wouldn't know what words He spoke or or any uh, that we would be given. They could tell by the creation, by design, uh, by the intricate workings of, of, of that creation that that it can't have just happened. But when it comes to understanding what are the laws of God, what's our purpose on this earth, again, why are we here, what should we be doing, uh, has to, can there be changes or will there be changes in our mind and heart, uh, will we be born to his family, what, what are all these things about? We couldn't figure these things out for ourselves. We couldn't just contemplate and think about these things and logically reason them out. They had to be revealed. And that's what it says. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? God gives us capacity to be human, to understand all things human. But even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So isn't that an incredible thing? That God has actually given us power to understand. Uh, We often don't think of it that way. But it really is. God gives us the capacity to to read the Bible, to understand these things, or to hear the Word of God expounded by His ministry. And it makes sense. And we put it together and we read the Scriptures and it all works together. Uh, That is, again, from the power of God. Now, going on a little further in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we find once we are given understanding, we are baptized, we receive His, again, Spirit as a begettle. But notice, God also gives us more power. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that is those practicing sexual acts outside of the marriage bond, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, all these perverse sexual uh, practices, nor thieves, nor covetous, uh, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And such were some of you. But brethren, a lot of people in the world are like that. You know, almost everyone has some kind of sin, obviously. You know, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. But look in the world, how many people have changed? How many people overcome uh, these very serious problems? Uh, most of the time, they don't even see the need to change. Or they see the need, they oftentimes use excuses. Well, we can't. Uh, overcome. We can't change. Uh, this is the way we've always been. But in the church of God, it's very interesting. Let's read the rest of the verse here in verse 11. Such were some of you, but notice you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. And this is what, what Paul is saying is now you are different. You are no longer a fornicator. You're not any longer involved in, in pornea that is, or in those practices. Uh, you're not into pornography. You're not into just living together outside of marriage and all these sexual things. You're no longer idolaters. You aren't uh, you know, having your little images, uh, physically speaking, and statues and idols or anything you place in the place of God. You're, you're no longer adulterers. You're now faithful to your marriage vows. You're, you're no longer homosexuals or sodomites. You're no longer thieves going the way of get. You're no longer covetous. Uh, covetous. You know, just desiring all sorts of things that you can't afford or shouldn't have. You're no longer drunkards. You're no longer revilers. You're no longer extortioners. You've overcome those things through the power of God. And there are many other places that, that indicate that. So again, God gives us power to overcome that is mentioned uh, very, very uh, emphatically here. Also, we find in Romans chapter 8. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. We find here that God has given us power and authority to become literal sons of God, part of that very God family. Romans chapter 8. And uh, let's go to verse 7. Because the carnal mind, that is that natural, normal mind that we all have, is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So we make excuses. And uh, we may agree with a lot of what God says, but maybe not all of it. And so we pick and choose. And we do what is right in our own eyes, just as was stated back in the book of Judges. Uh, but uh, those things lead to death. Uh, so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we talk about in the flesh, it means that we just have the normal mind uh, and not the spirit of God. But if but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, God's spirit changes our perception. It changes our way of thinking. It changes our motivation. It affects our reasonings. It affects our our actions and our thoughts. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but if the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, uh, who dwells in you. 
we have to again realize that you know what forces does it take to raise an individual who is dead back to life again? Uh, what what does it take to take individuals who've been in their graves like Lazarus had been, where his his body had already started decaying, and then to bring him out alive again, normal, you know, without all of the uh, hideous gore to be associated with with the death of an individual. That takes power. And that's what Paul is expressing here. You know, that same spirit, that same power that God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead, that same power gives you life as well. And so, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If your mind and heart doesn't change, then we'll live out our lives and we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We're talking about now the the ultimate uh, life and death. You know, we all die the first death, but we don't want to die the second death. And then we not only don't want to die the second death, we want to live forever. And God promises that. And so He says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Again, that tremendous power that comes from God. uh, As many as are led by that Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship, by which we cry out, you know, Daddy or Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, we may be glorified together. So we're talking about tremendous power and authority to be able to become the literal family of God. That includes you women, you men, and eventually you children as you grow up and are part of the, uh, the very church of God. That promise is to you as well. Along the same lines, you know, it also takes power to give that eternal life. Not just to be born, uh, but to live forever in God's family and kingdom. Let's turn to Ephesians, the uh, first chapter. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And let's start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And just as He chose in Him, uh, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It doesn't mean that necessarily He knows exactly by name and, and uh, all the details of who and what we are here in the 21st century, but He knew that there were going to be first fruits. He knew there were going to be individuals He would call to be part of His very family. And that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined, predetermined us uh, to adoption or that actual sonship as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And so that is God's purpose. Uh, That is God's mind. He goes on to say that uh, in verse 6 that we're, uh, has made us accepted. Uh, in his in in the beloved, verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches 
of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, and having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So again, we're having to really realize how much God is involved in what we are doing and our opportunities and our future. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in the earth in him. And in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, that spirit which is the guarantee, it's the, the down payment, it's the earnest money in that sense, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Uh, you know, we, we may not look at it that way, but in a sense, God has given us that spirit as, again, evidence that He is serious about His plans and purposes. Uh, those of you who have homes, if you, if you sell them, the buyer will put down a, a good faith money, earnest money, showing they're very serious about buying your house. Same thing with God. When He gives us that Holy Spirit and that Spirit's evidence in our life, a change of mind, a change of actions, that is evidence that God means what He says, that He intends for us to be part of His very family, children of God, and to give us eternal life. It's that guarantee until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So again, God gives great power in regard to eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, most all of us know, uh, in general, it's called the resurrection chapter, and talks about eternal life. It talks about from being uh, not being flesh anymore, uh, but entering into immortality. In the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how individuals were witness to the fact that Jesus Christ had been resurrected. I mean, I mean, a great number of witnesses. So it was not just a myth that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected. Uh, there were hundreds of brethren and under different circumstances and different times who saw Jesus Christ alive after he had died, that he had been resurrected. And Paul said uh, he was included. He also saw Jesus Christ alive after Christ had died. And he mentions how, again, uh, that it is evidence that if, if Christ you know, lived, then we can live, and uh, there is proof of that. Uh, he, he goes on to say, uh, verse 25, He must rule till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So in other words, Christ is under the authority of God the Father. And we're all under the authority of, of Jesus Christ. But God has given power to eternal life. He can conquer over death. 
as in Adam die, all in Christ will be made alive. Uh, it takes, again, great power and force to, to give eternal life in that way. You know, God has that ability to, to give, give life for eternity, not just physically, uh, but forever through his spirit and through his power. As we are discussing these issues, uh, I'm not talking about semantics and philosophies and, uh, you know, our ideas and, boy, that's a good motivating way of getting people to be part of the church of God. Uh, that's not the way it is. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, we need to understand this very, very basic principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. What he's trying to tell us is this. There, there, were, there were probably thousands of individuals, even at that time, just as we have in our time, who uh, would love to uh, talk about what they think Christ says or God says or what we're to do or what we're to think. And what Paul is saying, but but wait, you know, there are not very many that actually heard the words of Christ directly. And that's why we go back to the Bible, uh, that because we want to get the words that Jesus Christ and God the Father inspired to be recorded. So uh, we aren't, we aren't uh, you know, talking uh, taking the word of, of, of Johnny come lately's, but we're getting to the very source. And that's what Paul was saying. I am an original source. You know, I was taught by Jesus Christ. You know, I'm relaying uh, to uh, to you what what was told to me through not only Christ but of course through the other apostles and the church. Uh, Therefore, I urge you imitate me. You know, in other words, not him uh, just personally, but imitate the way that he lived and taught uh, as he followed Jesus Christ. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but notice, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now God's kingdom has to do with with the the evidence, the actions of what God is actually doing in our human lives, in the church, uh, around and since the world, His plan unfolding. And there is power and there is authority there. You see, the church is not just a place where we hear inspiring, encouraging words about God's kingdom. And maybe we discuss and argue about doctrine. And where we teach just wonderful things about the future, but nothing else. Now, I grew up in a middle-of-the-road Protestant church. I affectionately called it a Laodicean Protestant church uh, because basically they were very, they were very innocuous. Uh, the pastor gave encouraging homilies. You always felt good after you heard those words. We sang hymns. We drank a little bit of grape juice and soda cracker for uh, what they call communion. And there was even talk of missionary outreach in, in other nations. But do you realize I didn't hear, and this is, by the way, very common, 
I didn't hear of one biblical prophecy relevant for us today. I did not hear of one single healing in the church. I'd never heard an account of a demon being cast out. I heard of no one just overcoming grievous sins and, and their lives changing in miraculous ways. I had heard no report of the gospel being preached throughout the world as a witness. Uh, didn't hear or experience any of those things. And I think even to this day, I don't think that church felt they needed to be powerful. They just wanted to, to uh, you know, supposedly in their minds follow the traditional Christianity. But there was no profound atmosphere of faith that caused them to anticipate miracles and healings and works and understanding of prophecy, you know, proving God existed, you know, proving the Bible was true. That was all missing. It just wasn't, there just wasn't any of those things there. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, we find that Jesus Christ uh, had to be around kind of that attitude at times. That was the way he expressed it. Mark 6, verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. Then he came out, or went out from there, and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, uh, many hearing him were astonished, saying, Well, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? And such mighty works are performed by his hand. So they, they experienced authority and power here. But they reverted. But wait a minute. Isn't this just the son of Joseph, the uh, carpenter? Uh, isn't he the son of, of Mary? And look at his brothers and sisters. Aren't they with us? James, and Joseph, and Judas, and uh, Simon, uh, Simon. And what about his sisters? And they stumbled over. They were offended. They, they stumbled over that. They couldn't understand that. He's just a human being, they thought. We know his family. Uh, this is just not, not real. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. And he could do, do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. There was just simply not that kind of anticipation of faith and power and miracles. And so uh, Christ just didn't do a work there. Now you contrast this with the attitude of the apostles. You know, they would recognize when they didn't have that kind of faith needed. And uh, when they recognized this, they asked God to increase their faith. Well, brethren, we're living in a faithless age, but in the church of God, you know, we should be anticipating miracles. You know, we don't know. You know, we have to, again, as Dr. Merritt has said, be sensitive to God's will. Uh, you know, it's not our will to be done. It's God's will. But we should certainly anticipate the power of God's Spirit within the church of God. We should be anticipating miracles. Uh, we know that in Luke 18, he, the widow gave the example of importuning this unjust judge. And then Christ ends with a statement, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on this earth? 
So we recognize the prob a problem around us in this society and all nations around the world. Uh, there, there is not this kind of faith. There aren't individuals thinking in terms, well, God's going to do more healings. Uh, there's going to be more powerful teachings of the Bible, that there are going to be signs and wonders. You know, people aren't anticipating these kind of things. And that's why Mr. Merrick keeps and others keep imploring us to build an atmosphere of faith. Beseech God. Ask God for it. Because we don't want to be like the world. We shouldn't be like the world. We should understand who we are and what God has given us to think and do. And we should be able to see the power of God's kingdom in action. You know, we should and we do see healings. But are is everyone healed that has been asking for anointing? We would like to see that. Uh, and I think, again, as, as I think most of us believe, that God will eventually give us more of those kind of miracles. But we want to pray for that. You know, there, there is power. Uh, we have seen healings. You know, I, I can recount many, many examples of individuals being healed, including myself. Uh, there's no doubt that got, that's what God can do, and that's His will to do. But we do need more faith for healing. Individuals need to be healed. And we're beseeching God for individuals who are suffering uh, very serious diseases, and without God's healing, will die. But we know God can, with His power and authority, can grant those healings. Uh, we have seen casting out of demons, but as many as we would like to see, no. But we have seen them. We have seen individuals overcoming sins. Every minister has had that experience, and I hope every member of the church of God, either in themselves or knowing others in the church, have seen individuals changing, living life differently, attitudes different than what when they first began, about becoming more like Jesus Christ in character, growing in leadership skills so that we will be able to rule with Christ in His coming kingdom, answered prayers, the opening of doors to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. You know, those things aren't done uh, by themselves. You know, do, we, do we think that the world is beating at our door thinking, oh, we want to put on the, uh, the uh, telecast. We want to hear Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames and Mr. Smith and uh, Mr. King. And we want to hear Mr. Hernandez and others, Mr. Weston and so on. That, uh, you know, would you, would you please let us play your telecast or broadcast? Uh, brethren, you know, oftentimes the world, frankly, doesn't want to hear what we have to say. So how do we reach these people in these nations? Well, by the power of God. You know, who is, who is it that opens the doors? That is, again, by God's power and strength. Uh, how is the church preserved in times of persecution? You know, how do we serve, uh, survive upheavals and tests and trials? Brethren, it's not by our own strength. We're not a weak church. Now, again, we still don't experience the extent of the power that perhaps we will see in the times of the end. But we should be seeing evidence all along the road. We should be seeing these things. Our eyes should be open to these truths. Uh, there have been accounts and miracles that we can see through the years. Uh, in Worldwide, we even had a, a, a volume published 
of miracles that God, God's people had reported uh, that happened in their lives of healings, of miraculous interventions, of saving you know their lives from from thieves or robbers or would-be murderers and so on. And there were many, many accounts of these things. So there has been power in the church of God all along. But we're still like the man who said to Christ, I believe, but help my unbelief. We have faith, but God help us to increase our faith. Brethren, we should be anticipating spiritual power and spiritual gifts. We shouldn't be thinking, well, they, you know, will they come or we're powerless? No, we should be thinking, yeah, these should be coming. That should be part of what God has promised. In 1 Corinthians 12, book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He said, in verse 1, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know, what he's saying is, is you know, there, there are gifts that God gives his people. He said, sure, we're a little flock. Uh, sure, God has not chosen the, the great and mighty for the most part of the world. But God is telling us, listen, you do have power. It's my power. You do have gifts. These are spiritual gifts that I'm giving you. He talks about a little later in this very same chapter uh, here in verse uh, 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts. There are various gifts, but it's through the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries or ways of serving, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So I said there is power and authority behind this, this little body, the, the church of God. No, we're not you know, filled with billions of members. We don't have representatives in the United Nations. We don't have individuals serving in government uh, in the United States or in Canada or in other places, at least that I know of. Uh, we don't have the, the Rockefellers and the Buffets and others who have incredible resources at their command. We don't have all of that. But we have power just the same through a greater source and a greater being. He said in verse 7, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Uh, well, wisdom doesn't come just humanly. It's not, it's not just common. Uh, it's common sense. But uh, again, common sense isn't common. And the wisdom of God uh, comes through the Spirit of God. And there is wisdom. Uh, you'll find that some of the ministers have that as a gift to help in their ministries. And some of our brethren have that gift of wisdom to, to profit uh, the church. Uh, to another, uh, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. There are individuals who are able to make the truth plain. Mr. Armstrong used that term, you know, the plain truth. And what he meant was that some individuals could take all of this knowledge and then they can make it very clear and understandable. But again, it still takes God's Spirit to accept that and to understand that, that plain truth. But that is by the power of God. To another faith, for they have that just strong belief, no doubts. Uh, but they, they believe and they know, and they know that they know. 
uh, that God is God and the Bible is God's word and that we can again use the spirit of God in these, these various ways. Uh, to another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. Uh, there are ministers who do maybe experience a few more of answered prayer and healings and uh, they see that and they're encouraged by that. Uh, to another, the working of miracles. And there have been miracles in the church of God, even outside of healings, uh, very special miracles. Uh, to another, the uh, the uh, prophecy, and that can mean inspired preaching. And there are individuals who just are, are very, very gifted at moving uh, God's people in special ways and also understanding the scriptures concerning the uh, events yet ahead. To another, discerning of spirits. You know, being able to understand when there's a demon involved, uh, this kind of thing, and also attitudes. To another, uh, different kinds of languages. Maybe that is yet to come. But what I'm saying is here that God shows that he's giving these powerful uh, characteristics and abilities to his church. Uh, There are times when maybe there's not as much of this, and there will be times when there is a great deal of this uh, in in the work and church of God. So humanly speaking, he said, we are a small flock. We couldn't make a dent in the preaching of the gospel as a witness to the world. Uh, At the end, humanly speaking, uh, again, we don't have all these powerful backers. We can't rely on human help to get our work done. And yet there is a great power behind us. Uh, There is a great power that sponsors the living church of God, and that is the great creator of the universe. And he's the one behind this work, God the Father and Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 as we begin to end here. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's take it up to verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease. Don't, well, I never stop giving thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of his, the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. So that's the power and the force and the authority that works through the church of God. And it is mighty. The example is which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come in power and authority and and character beyond any human being who has ever lived or who will ever live. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So brethren, on this day of Pentecost, Again, let's understand there is power and there is might in the church of God. We don't always see it in the way that we would like to. 
you know, more the more visible miracles and more healings and so forth. But uh, brethren, there is power, and there is. But we have to have our eyes look for it. Remember what we've experienced in the Church of God. If you've been in the church many many years, you you know brush off the cobwebs of your memories and look back and think about all of the incredible miracles of God that He has accomplished uh, throughout the decades. And again, the, even the centuries in the church of God. And for those of you who are newer, uh, you know, you ask, you think, you looked around, and you're going to see again the, the mighty power of God uh, demonstrated in the church. Remember that last statement in Matthew 6. Christ is, is showing how we should pray to God the Father. And he says, you know, we end by, by saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So in a sense, in every prayer of ours, we should be cognizant that we are a church of power. Yes, a little flock. Yes, maybe uh, you know thousands of what the world would consider no names. You know that is not recognized, uh, not part of the movers and shakers of the world. But brother, we are representatives of the the Most High God of the universe. Uh, Pentecost should remind us that even though we are humanly small and humanly without resources, God will give us all the power we need to fulfill the plan of salvation in our lives and to accomplish the work that he has given us to do. Brethren, you again have a wonderful rest of the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, Learn these lessons. Think about them. And uh, we, we look forward again to that day when we'll be resurrected and receive you know, the fullness of God's power and glory in our lives.